Hey there, and welcome to another edition of Inside Intercom. This week, we're taking a deep dive into some of the most hyped product design trends of the past year, AI and machine learning. Now, I'm sure there are some of you out there that think AI is well overhyped and represents nothing more than a bunch of if-then-else type statements. And there are others of you that think the ability for robots to one day take our jobs is the biggest story of the next decade. But likely, you fall somewhere in the middle of the spectrum. So, to make sense of where we are, where the most potential really lies, and the biggest considerations product builders need to make as a result, this week, our co-founder, Des Trainer is joined in the studio by Intercom's own Fergal Reed. Virgil's official title here is Machine Learning Strategist, where, put simply, he oversees how this technology can be applied to our own Intercom products and things like our operator bot. But before joining us at Intercom, Virgil was the co-founder of his own machine learning startup, where he focused on predictive analytics software. That would go on to be acquired by Optimizely, and he would go to spend the next few years there in both machine learning and product manager roles. Virgil's also got a PhD in this area, so he's really put it under the microscope from both an academic and hands-on perspective. As Shawit does, Fergal gets to the root of the most common misconceptions we see between AI and machine learning. You see articles out there in the world where someone says, oh, Elon Musk says AI is, is going to come and take all our jobs or come and get us. And somebody else has an AI company solving a very specific industry problem and the two things get conflated and it doesn't help anybody. Explains why startups should be careful not to prematurely ship products in this area. Building a prototype is often easy. But building something that, you know, handles all the edge cases, that's mature enough to, to kind of push into production and to deliver value for users without supervision is, is, is really hard. Why the best applications today tend to actually be narrow verticals. They kind of dive deep down into that narrow vertical. They, they get the data, they organize the data, and they figure out a good way that that data can kind of dry and drive impact for, for the business and, and then they build something simple that solves that which gradually over time gets more and more powerful if you like what you hear and want to check out more inside intercom interviews check out our full library of 90 plus conversations on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts but now let's hop into the interview where we've got des trainer with fergal reed you're listening to inside intercom intercom making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Hey, Fergal. Hey, Des. Thanks very much for having me on the show. It's awesome. Thank you for doing it. You're illegally paid to do so, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> um, getting on to the subject matter, like it does feel that in the last two years, you can't open a new tab in a browser without hearing about some either some new large company has had this AI breakthrough, which they've basically branded, or there's some new ML capability. Or like, you know, we've lost yet another game of Go to the, the robot overlords. Right, right. What's actually going on? Is this purely a media thing or has, has shit actually changed in the past few years? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that's a really interesting question. And I mean, like always, there's a bit of both. There is definitely a massive hype machine running, which is blowing things out of proportion sometimes. There's also a couple of really interesting things happening that I think are real and are significant. And I think any discussion on AI or machine learning to be productive has to kind of tease out some maybe definitions yeah. at the start. What are the what are the key terms here? Like, and why do people interchange? Well, I guess you, I guess people interchange because we do them, right? But like, yeah. <laughs> but what, what what are the key terms, and what did each stand for? Right. So, I mean, it's a hard question. I mean, machine learning is 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 pretty well defined, right? It's it's sort of like a branch of applied statistics. You've got some problem, you're trying to solve the problem. And you have a system that when you give it more training data, 
performance of the system gets better. So, you know, it's a little bit like if you're trying to got a statistical problem, you're trying to estimate the average height of people in a population. The the more data you get, the the better of an estimate of the population height you're going to you're going to get. So machine learning is is I guess a pretty well understood field. It's been around for a while. It's very real, it's valuable. And I guess in relatively recent years, it's it, it's really starting to deliver the goods on a range of hard problems that I guess historically weren't so easy to crack. AI, I guess, is is sort of a, a more nebulous term. It's it's a very old term and it's a very uh, aspirational term, you know. And the origins of AI, I think, are are you know, they come from people talking about general intelligence, trying to make uh, systems that are as as smart and as intelligent as 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 people are. And this is where things kind of get complicated in, in today's world, which is that uh, you've got some people discussing, you know, really applied AI, and you've got some people discussing like general human level AI. And the general human level AI is is still, you know, seems like it's far off, or at least we're definitely not there yet. Right. Whereas uh, the, the the applied stuff is is a very real thing that's happening can in the world. You, can you give moment. me like an example of what a problem will be in the general and then in the applied, like? Yeah, so I mean, the, the general one is, is hard to say. I mean, ultimately, you're talking about something that is generally intelligent, like a human is generally intelligent, right? So something that can tackle a wide range of problems. Right. And, um, you know, this is this is the, the concept of science fiction, the, mm-hmm. the computer that, that kind of thinks like a, a human does. Right. And there is work that's happening in academia or industrial research labs that that maybe seems like it's making progress on on general questions that that, that you know seemed like we, we couldn't touch before, but you know I think it's really important to be clear what you're talking about. I think a lot of confusion in the discussion about AI at the moment comes from people sort of using these two terms interchangeably, and you see articles out there in the world where someone says, "Oh, Elon Musk says AI is is going to come and take all our jobs or come and get us," and. Uh, Somebody else has an AI company solving a very specific industry problem and the two things get conflated and right. <laughs> doesn't help anybody. And then they just throw in machine learning for the fun as well. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. The, when you were talking about machine learning and artificial intelligence, you said on a machine learning piece that like there's some things that we're actually surprisingly good at now. There are some problems are now like probably more solvable than, than they were, say, like in 2000 or whatever. Yeah, I, I think that, that that's true. It's very real. It's very exciting. So, I mean, one great example of this is is computer vision. For, right. for you know, generations, people were, you know, coding algorithms almost by hand, coding things to detect uh, features of an image. Oh, there's a straight line here. Or there's an edge there. And, and, and trying to detect these things in a, in a very manually coded way to try and recognize, oh, there's a bicycle in this picture or there's a bird in that picture. And, you know, the success was was just never really quite what we wanted. It was it was always easy to produce a compelling demo, but hard to produce a system that, that you know, worked and put in the wild and you could ship. And, and I think in the last sort of five years or so, we, we've really crossed a threshold there in computer vision of, you know, we now have acceptable accuracy. You can ship Google Photos with a built-in object recognizer to... 100 million smartphones and you know most of the time it just works there's there's hiccups there's there's problems but it's we're it's sort of hit this this acceptable error bar for the yeah. end user and uh, that's obviously been one huge success story another i think big success story has been in in things like audio recognition and natural language translation and what all these success stories i think have in common is that we're much better at understanding 
unstructured data, data where things aren't nicely labeled and classified, data that looks like a big image full of pixels mm-hmm. or a big sound file full of, of bits and bytes. Uh, we're much better at kind of at taking this unstructured data and, and turning it into structure than we were sort of five years ago. And right. I think this is because of something called people call deep learning, which is I mean, you could talk about it as a a breakthrough machine learning technology that's enabling this, or equally, you could talk about it as an old machine learning technology that's, you know, finally come good. We finally have enough computation power and, you know, good, good techniques to kind of to to really realize its potential. Is there then like a prototypical example of a problem where we're still struggling? Like if if you're saying, um, let's say like, you know, image recognition or or vision in general is, is a good area. Is there a corresponding area where like we have yet to really make a dent? Like obviously I'm well aware of like the successes and things like chess or go. And then as you said, just said stuff like Google photos is a productized application of like deep learning as applied to machine vision. But um, if you take say something that can talk like a human or react like a human or like, you know, are, are there areas right. or problem domains where it's like, you know what, that's still on the on the distant time horizon? Yeah, I mean, I, I okay, so that, that's fair. There's a, there's a lot of domains we haven't yet cracked. So it, it's one thing to look at, you know, unstructured data where you have 100 million photos and over time you learn to recognize the objects in them. But I mean, this this huge amount of things we're not even close to yet, it seems. And you touched on something there like, you know, synthesis, like speech generation or like open domain conversation. So yeah. talking to a chatbot where the chatbot generates uh, fully natural responses for you in the way that, if you know, if you talk to a, another human about a topic, they're going to respond, they're going to yeah. talk to you. Uh, we're definitely not at the stage where we have you know, a system that's intelligent, that can hold yeah. the context of a conversation and that can just kind of have that conversation right. with and you. And the distinction you're drawing there is like generates versus selects from a pre-configured answer bank, right? Which is the more like the more classical chatbot is like, oh, well, let me pull answer 1.8 and, and spit that out. You're saying actually create and conceive and return an answer that's appropriate. Yeah, well, exactly. We're not yet at the at the level where we have anything that requires sort of a general understanding of, of a domain. We're, we're not really there yet. So right. we, we, we have we have very powerful techniques for taking, you know, unstructured data and, and kind of compressing that down to a simple representation that we can then use to say, oh, you know, this looks like a cow or this looks like a dog or this looks like the word hello. Yeah. But, you know, that, 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 that's a very, it's a very limited, constrained mm-hmm. task. It's something that kind of requires any sort of a, a contextual understanding, which is, right. you know, basically we, there's a small number of problems for which we have figured out good solutions yeah. and, you know, a much, much larger number of problems probably for which we, 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 we're still, we're not anywhere we're close to solving. Go back to the idea of, I guess, what you'd call like a, misconceptions for lack of a better word are, are there specific things I mean the definitions probably sounds like it is one of like maybe the common pain points of somebody who actually understands it I mean are there other things you wish like that product folk startup folk just knew about AI or, or machine learning is there common information you wish was out there yeah so I, I think that's a fair question so leaving away the the kind of the, the, the general intelligence kind of end of things talking at the very applied, I'm in a startup and I, I want to build a machine learning product or a product with a machine learning capability. Uh, the number one thing I wish people knew is, you know, it takes a long time to build a product that's good enough that you can put in front of users in a very unsupervised way. So, you know, building a prototype is often easy, 
but building something that you know handles all the edge cases that's mature enough to to kind of push into production and to deliver value for users without supervision is 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 really hard and the number one thing i think people should watch out for is that it's relatively easy to produce a slick demo that looks like you can do something cool but it can take a vastly longer time to kind of to handle all the edge cases required to make a compelling product that you know you can just put in front of users and will just deliver value for them. What's interesting there is like two things. Like one, you know, when you say it takes a long time, I presume like the implication being longer than it takes to build the product or the casing of this AI masterpiece, right? Like right, it's right. you know, so you can uh, and and like is that long time got to do it like you know, during that period, are you pointing your algorithm at some big data source and letting it learn? And then you're just sitting in bed when this is happening? Or are you tweaking by hand and you learning more about your domain? Like what's happening during that period? I, I, I think it's the latter. I think it's that you, you've got to, you got to tweak things by hand. So often you can build a very powerful machine learning system that will do like 90% of a task well enough. But then you're left with this remaining 10%. And the question is, what happens with this remaining 10%? If you decide you want to build your machine learning system to handle it and to deal with it, you typically face diminishing returns. You know, it can typically take a month to get 90% accuracy and a year to get 95% accuracy and a decade to get 99% accuracy. Wow. So there's, there's often really strong laws of diminishing returns for these type of systems. And so what you actually see in a lot of production use cases is People don't try and get the machine learning system to handle all the edge cases. Rather, what they do is they paper over the cracks. They find by a process of trial and error and iterative deployment, they find the edge case system is bad at, and then they, they code in a heuristic or right. they, they bias their training data in some way to kind of to handle those. And that process of, of iteration gradually until the product is, is good enough to leave in front of users in an unsupervised way, that process takes time. It takes calendar wall clock time and it takes, you know, engineering time. And so, yeah, so as a result, a lot of people, they get to a demo that solves the 90% use case and everybody celebrates. It's great. We just need to put some UI polish on it and ship it. And in practice to actually get it to the point where it's, it's really solving the problem in a reliable way takes all that extra time. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that... All businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. 
That's all to come on Off Script. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. It's interesting as well to think about the different people involved in the creation of, of like a piece of AI because like there are some people for whom like, hey, if this works 10% of the time, that's a win, right? Like as in, if we can, you know, correctly infer like that, like a customer is going to be profitable for us, like one in 10 times, that might be in and of itself useful and extra signal that we should pull in. There are other cases where you're like, hey, I want to replace all my customer facing staff with this piece of thing, in which case, you know, you might do the wrong calculus. You might be like, hey, this thing gets it right 51% of the time and kind of be blind to the fact that 49% of your customers are now having a horrible experience or whatever. It seems like there are these like sort of like perceptual cliffs that you can cross where like there's like good enough such that it's like it's cost effective for the business to release it into the wild and good enough such that the user actually has a good experience. And I'm worried that maybe like those two bars might be actually quite far apart in some sense, right? Yeah, I mean, so I think there's a couple of really interesting things to unpack there. Uh, One thing is that, you know, there's a product development kind of tactics question here, which is what products should you choose to ship? And if you're trying to ship a machine learning product, you really want to ship one where there's a good tolerance for occasionally getting things wrong. An example of this would be, Google relatively recently shipped these smart replies for Gmail. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they unobtrusively at the bottom of your email provide these suggested replies. If one of the replies isn't very good, it doesn't matter. If one Mm -hmm. of the replies is good, the user clicks on it and saves some time. That's a really nice way to deploy a machine learning product rather than say, oh, it's going to respond on your behalf, right? We're going to answer your emails on your behalf because then the accuracy bar is is, is way higher. Yeah, it's like 0% near enough, right? Like if this thing is going to speak (laughs) on my behalf, it can't make a mistake. Exactly. Whereas if you're going to suggest things I should say, then yeah, suggest a way. And like worst case, I'll just never use it. Right? Exactly. And so so I, I think uh, successful machine learning products are about picking your battles really carefully mm-hmm. and about uh, choosing to kind of to ship something where, you know, just the nature of the product, there'll be a high tolerance for occasional error. And, yeah. you know, even if you want to ship something that completely does something on the user's behalf, initially shipping it as something that will assist the user, assist yeah. the user's workflow, always get that manual approval yeah. is, is a great way to do it. And so, yeah, so I think I think the que- your original question about what's the bar for yeah. kind of success of this, it depends on the product. And right. a good product manager, I think, has to be very thoughtful about trying to mm-hmm. ship pieces that have that affordance, that basically right. have that robustness to occasional bad behavior. So that's a really interesting trait. Like it strikes me that like if we were to, like, to find like a very, a project or a piece of product feature that's like, really well positioned to make use of these technologies a simple require, requirement would be that it should augment but not replace anything that exists today so as in if you can make things easier for the user simplify things reduce things to a click but don't click on their behalf if you know what i mean you probably also want something where you're going to have enough data to learn from is that right or i mean just just on on the first yeah. point there i think that that's a fair summary like there's occasional provisos right yeah. i mean our domain is is is, is relatively good for this yeah. uh, something like self-driving cars people yeah. speculate yeah, that yeah. there's there's an uncanny valley or sort of a a, a a cliff here where if it's if it's good but not perfect, it's mm-hmm. actually worse than if it just doesn't work at all, right? right? Because, you know, it lulls the user into a false sense of security yeah, yeah, if, okay. if all they have to do is click and approve. Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah, like it depends on the domain. There's, there's a full spectrum here, but uh, but I think that's generally yeah. fair, yeah. And then what are the other things you, you would look for if you're like assessing a project and seeing, can we help here? 
So obviously, yeah, not being on critical path, or, or at least not being the final arbiter of a decision. Um, however, being able to massively use data to inform it, a wealth of data that's there to begin with. Yeah, I mean, a wealth of data is always nice if you can get it. Some companies have access to that and some don't. I mean, there is an emerging trend, I think it's fair to say, uh, in startups at the moment where people are taking models that are sort of have been trained on a wealth of data. Maybe the data is open or maybe mm-hmm. it's it's a model that's been provided by a, a company or an organization with a lot of data. And people are kind of saying, okay, how can I take this pre-trained model that's enabling me to do something I couldn't do before and adapt it to a particular domain or a particular challenge right. I have? So maybe I can I can start delivering something that's valuable before I amass that data set. And then later when I amass that data set myself, I can go and 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 kind of get that last 10% of accuracy by training it on data specific to, right. to my use case. And so this, this is this is an emerging trend. People are still figuring out exactly how to build companies around this. Also, I, I would say that like, you know, an MVP that you can quickly get in front of customers that will pay you money before you've cracked your hard machine learning problems yeah. is, is always lovely if you can get it. And uh, there, there is, there's definitely a, a pattern out there where there's a lot of startups that are claiming to be AI or machine learning startups yeah. that, you know, they're deferring the actually solving the hard machine learning problem yeah. at the core of the, what they're trying to do until they raise their series B and they're, you know, they're putting a simple rules engine into production or something, something quite simple and quite hacky. And, you know, they're de-risking their product market fish and, and later they'll come back and solve the hard machine learning problem. And as long as everyone's yeah. expectations are managed, that's not yeah, necessary. Which is fine, I guess, as long as like, <laughs> as long as you're not like sort of crossing your fingers for like three rounds of funding to be like, let's hope the AI fucking shows up, you know? <laughs> right, 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 right. I mean, yeah, exactly. Like, like bet- betting that, uh, that, you know, that the hard economic problem at the heart of your yeah. business model will yeah. be solved by machine learning. Yeah. Uh, After a hundred billion dollars of funding. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's a great thing to do if it's actually solvable. So. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> One thing that strikes me as I look around this, this space and like there is obviously a proliferation of both startups and like established companies who are now like beating their chest, telling anyone to listen, you know, we are as much AI as and, and more than you can possibly conceive. Some problems, I imagine, and probably a, a reasonable set are like, relatively abstract such that they apply to many companies. So like, I would guess that like, there are lots of different email companies now considering whom we should consider our own version of smart reply. There are probably many different uh, survey tools that would like to do something like sentiment analysis. Like, is this answer angry or, or, or happy? You know, and I guess what I'm saying is, does these like sort of horizontal slices through the market mm-hmm. um, that I imagine are like, you know, I imagine this sounds like the sort of thing that like a company like Amazon or whoever would uh, would go and build a generalized solution for and deploy it as part of AWS or whatever. And I know you mentioned to me uh, before we started like uh, tools like Lex that are out there, but um, what's going on in this sort of like in the buy versus build sort of space? Should startups look to, look to buy first? Does that give you a leg up? Do you need to be bespoke? All that sort of stuff. I mean, I think you should generally buy if you can. I think that that's just generally a, a golden rule. This stuff is, is expensive to, to, to build. It's very expensive to develop. But sort of the broader question there about the, the horizontal versus the vertical slices, I mean, this is this is just a personal take, but I kind of think that looking back sort of four or five years, we saw a lot of people trying to build horizontal companies and horizontal offerings in this space. Yeah. Um, These are like the general purpose engines, right? Like, Yeah, yeah. And again, start, small startup I had uh, acquired by Optimizely, uh, you know, what was trying to build uh, sort of a, a hands-off general machine learning decision engine. Is that kind of like what Watson is or? 
Oh man, uh, that's a deeper question. That's a deeper we, question. We, I'm we'll actually do, we'll I should talk a, about Watson on a we'll, podcast. We'll we'll do a different podcast on <laughs> <to> Watson. What <laughs> well, well, Watson, you know, to to a, a third party without a lot of information, it, it really seems like a marketing term, and right. I think. IBM have caught flack for that. They yeah. built a really cool Jeopardy playing robot and yeah. then they decided to expand that to what seems like just a, a marketing term. So I, I yeah, don't yeah. really know what Watson is. If, if anybody knows, please send me an email. Sure <laughs> I'd thing. love to know. Cool, cool. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, people are trying to build these horizontal platforms, but I, I think the industry kind of went away from that a little bit. I think people sort of realized that that getting these horizontal platforms right was was kind of hard. Right. You know, we had a lot of services. We had like Google's prediction API. Yeah. And people instead, I think, in this sort of second wave of machine learning sort of startups and companies are, are, are trying to find very vertical problems where they, they really own a narrow vertical. They kind of dive deep down into that narrow vertical. They, they get the data, they organize the data and often getting and assembling the data is, you know, is, is so much of, of, of the challenge. They, they, they figure out a good way that that data can, can kind of drive action or drive impact for, for the business. And, and then they build something simple that solves that, which gradually over time gets more and more powerful. And I think that seems to be the emerging paradigm at the moment, which is, is highly verticalized uh, applications of AI, because th- these horizontal platforms turned out to be relatively easy to build an okay horizontal yeah. platform, but then really hard to actually integrate it, to do the feature engineering, to integrate it for the, the specific And then task. tweak it for the vertical or whatever. I, exactly, right. exactly. And so, so you're, sort of, you're starting at 50%, but to get any further than 50% is actually really hard. Yeah, right. and, and I do think it, it is doable. I, I, like, I do believe in that, you know, there are, there are kind of common horizontal pieces of problems here. I, I do believe that ultimately we will have very successful general not as in artificial general mm-hmm. intelligence, mm-hmm. but general yeah. as in general machine learning solutions that, that work across a lot of businesses. But I think they're very hard. And, you know, the hard problems of gathering data is and organizing your data, organizing your output of your system is, is it seems to be best solved in a, in a very verticalized way. And so I think that, right. that's what people have, have sort of converged around. I mean, there's still the, the juggernauts out there. Amazon and, and Google are, you know, gradually building suites of horizontal pieces of technology. We're still learning exactly which of those are and aren't valuable in terms of building machine learning. I mean, you mentioned Lex there, which is the, I guess, Amazon's factoring out of their, their kind of their bot logic layer of, of Alexa. And, you know, it's, it's a very nice service, but I think if you try and play with it and you try and use it, you know, it's clearly got very nice kind of fuzzy kind of sentence matching, fuzzy intent matching slot filling. But maybe a downside with it might be, you can clearly see that it it encodes a lot of the Alexa design decisions and the design assumptions in it. And um, to try and adapt that and, and, and apply that to a, to a kind of a wide range of, of, of different use cases. It, to me, as, as a user, it's, it's not clear how, how adaptable it is. It's, it's not clear that, that we really understand the kind of the sweet spot of, of API design between horizontal and, and vertical machine learning services just yet. And really interesting area, really promising area, but not quite there yet. For a lot of our listeners, they work in startups or they work in small teams, maybe in larger companies. And um, I know a lot of them will, as you know, because of the year that's in it, be like thinking about uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning or, or even like rules engines. You mentioned, I think, twice even in on this interview that these projects tend like to be uh, unpredictable in their output. In some sense, like you said, um, you know, you might get to fr- you might get ninety percent in a week, and then it could be like a, a decade before you get to ninety nine percent. 
Uh, how do you kind of work with that level of uncertainty? Like, so, I mean, it kind of feels like as a designer, I might just draw a box and be like, now the AI magic pixel fairy jumps in here and he or she decides that this is an angry answer. And as a result, it gets dropped into the angry answer box. And unbeknownst to me, the designer, I might have added like a decade onto the project by doing that, right? How do we effectively like weaponize it while also like not creating this massive uncertainty in our product roadmaps? I'm not sure weaponize is, is the best choice of words there. That's always, <laughs> that's always a dangerous yeah. thing to say. Let's, let's leave that aside. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's go for productize instead. Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> how do we productize these things? Um, I mean, it's a great question. I, I think we are still figuring that out. We're still figuring out the... Uh, that the kind of the, the project management discipline of of kind of building and shipping uh, AI products. I would say though that you know, try and find the machine learning piece and try and isolate it. Try and see if there's a way of delivering the customer value actually counterintuitively without building the machine learning piece yet. Right. So this is back to this augmentation idea, right? Back to yeah. this augmentation idea. Back to doing things that don't scale. Yeah. Uh, try and not take on the technical risk of building the machine learning with the product risk and the engineering risk and the design risk all right. at the same time. Try and kind of isolate or orthogonalize those risks so that you can tackle them piecemeal. By all means, if you have machine learning risk, if you're not sure if this, you know, will this engine work on your data? Will it deliver the saved replies you want? Definitely start a project to try and cut down that risk. But, you know, be very thoughtful about the order in which you do those risks. The wrong thing to do is to start a, you know, a machine learning project with six months of machine learning solving a problem that when you actually put in front of customers, turns out wasn't exactly what they wanted. And it's going to take another six months. <laughs> you know, right, yeah. that, 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 that slight change in, in the framing of the problem necessitates a complete redoing of the machine yeah. learning. That's very bad. So, you know, because it's expensive, you really want to make sure your problem framing is right before you do, you do it, it. Is there a, a tension or a challenge there? Because like I worry that, and maybe this is actually a good thing, but like I worry that that potentially like relegates the machine learning components to like being like in some sense like the sugar on top of the product. If you know what I mean, right. and like and maybe that's an okay thing if the end goal is that like you can actually swap out the product with the sugar. If you know what I mean, as in yeah, yeah. hey, we'll build this as a suggestions thing, and when it gets fantastically good, which might take a month or it might take a year. Right. Then we can then we can flip it, right? We can we can have the default action be. Is that like the preferred way to introduce it? So I mean, I, I guess I'm talking here from the lens of like, hey, uh, you're a startup and yeah. you want to get more machine learning out there, or you're yeah. a mid-sized SaaS company, yeah. whatever it might yeah. be. Uh, obviously, there are some products where the machine learning is just so central. Like you it know, is the product. It right? is the product. Yeah. I was going to say self-driving cars, right? <laughs> yeah. If you want to yeah. ship self-driving cars, yeah. uh, you got to be sure the machine learning works. Although even as I say that, I mean, almost the approach that Tesla are taking to this versus mm-hmm. the approach Google's taking to this. Right. Like Google seemed to be like, Waymo seemed to really be trying to like nail the machine learning part really yeah. early on. On the other hand, you've got Tesla, who are kind of yeah. doing this. It's the sugar on top. They're going right? like the lighter one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like you know, they're sort of shipping the car, and then yeah. they, they're building this marketing position around. Oh, and it's going to self-drive, and you know, yeah. we'll backport the software to it. And like that is sort of the sugar on top, right? Yeah. And it is like, and they're de-risking everything else, like their go-to-market, their demand for the brand, the style of the car. Like they're they're like they're right. taking care of all these other problems, which Google have yet to even knock on the door of. Right, right. right. Yeah. And so I guess I guess you know. This is a world in which they're really disappointed because it turns out that like, you know, in N years time, mm-hmm. 
trying to do like an optical based self-driving car yeah. is like way harder than it turns out. And you actually do need a, a giant lighter installation yeah. or a solid yeah. state lighter installation yeah. or something like new hardware yeah. to solve the problem. But in which case they still have a really successful car company, assuming. <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Sure, sure. sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously that, that gets into uh, in, into the specifics of that particular yeah. business. But yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that there are some large scale mm-hmm. projects here where people are actually doing it. They're building yeah. the machine learning as a little thing that sits on top. Yeah. They hope later on that it becomes part of the core value proposition for yeah. what they're currently shipping. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and you know, in a lot of ways, that's a sensible way to do things. As long as you don't get caught out, as long as it doesn't turn out that some path dependent decision you made very early on yeah. ties your hands for later and you just discover right. that you can't do and it. It turns so, out you made a bet early on that didn't pay off. Whatever, right. And, right. And so, so it really depends on, you know, what's the, the core value prop? Is is machine learning something that, you know, is going to add on to your product and going to make everything 10% more efficient? Or is it something that's like completely economically core to, to, to what you're building? You should be really, really thoughtful about that. There's a lot of, I think, startups out there in the world where they are building a product where machine learning will enhance it and make it better. And they're instead positioning themselves as if it's absolutely core to their success right. in order to attract funding and attract hype and whatever else. And, you know, I'd advise people to be very thoughtful about that or certainly don't let the, don't let the tail wag the dog there, yeah. you know? <laughs> I, and I guess, yeah, if you build your brand on, on something that's actually an, an ancillary, you know, I don't want to say like an ancillary feature that happened to be trendy in 2017, um, but actually maybe there's a core product that's actually quite valuable. And this was just an opportunistic add-on. But if you build your entire brand around it and you name your company accordingly and all that sort of stuff, all that shit could come back to bite you in the ass. It, it could, yeah. it could, absolutely. I mean... I am bullish about machine learning over the next sort of like five years. I don't think it's a flash in the pan. Yeah. I do think, you know, obviously we're at a period of huge hype. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but people should be absolutely be thoughtful about how they build their brands. Thanks so much for your time today, Fergal. Thanks very much for having me, Daz. Thank you. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.